You're listening to Informed, informal chats about theological topics to help us know and understand God together. Informed. Informed. Hi everyone, welcome to Informed. Uh, Today we've got the second part of my conversation with Mike Betts where we'll be talking about uh, revival and the transformation of society and uh, encounters with God. So let's get into it. I'd love to ask you, Mike, about revival Mm. um, and... uh, where should we start? Um, is, is revival in the Bible? I think it, it's easy to perhaps make the question for relevant for us, say, is it in the New Testament? I think in the Old Testament, revival is there, but then the covenant was different. So it, it looked different because often it was to do with how many goats you had or whatever. Yeah. Um, it, it, was, it was a bit more sort of land-based and material-based and the prosperity and blessing of God on, on visible things. Uh, well, I think in the New Testament, um, in one sense, the, the the church was getting going in the book of Acts, so it's difficult to revive something that's only just started. And the definition of revival, I think Martin Lloyd-Jones, I think, makes a very good case that revival actually is a term that should be used for the church, not for society, because you can't yeah. revive something unless it's actually alive in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um so I would distinguish between revival and a very fruitful evangelistic campaign or whatever, both of which are needed. And usually revival leads to the other. We have one leads okay. to the other. So they're not, they're not unconnected. But I think the you know, when Acts talks about times of refreshing coming, I think it, the, the more the, the later epistles would seem to, the book of Revelation talks to the churches about adjusting, turning, going back to first love, Mm. those sorts of things, which are kind of revival feelings, even if you just take, even if you don't put that label on it classically. I mean, it's revival as a term is a a human construct, isn't it? It's not a biblical term in the way we mean it. But I think, you know, return to your first love is a a longing or an instruction to cultivate a a revived sense of, the presence of God in a local church that presumably did have it and then waned a bit. So I think, I think from that point of view, it is in the Bible. Um, mm. But um, we were obviously in the first decades weren't yeah, we, yeah. of church life. So it, it took a while for, for it to wane in perhaps the degree that we read in Revelation. So it's interesting. It sounds like you're talking about it in terms of revival being a restoring of the church to where it should be rather than a kind of extra bonus exciting bit on top of the normal? Uh, Well, that's a good question. I don't think we can live in constant revival. I think it would, I think we'd explode um, because I think when when the ground is saturated with a heavy downpour of rain, for example, the after effects of it are very good for the farming community agriculturally because it goes sinks right down into the soil, right down to the water course itself, and it affects it affects the soil for a long period of time. Mm. But if the downpour was turned on perpetually, uh, the soil would be washed away. There would, it would, you wouldn't be able to do anything. So I do think it's uh, we can learn a lot from the seasons, can't we? Tides go out, they come in. The sun goes down, it comes up, um, rain falls, it stops raining. You know, I, I think there are seasonal, there's a, Ecclesiastes says, you know, there's a time for everything under heaven. And I think that uh, 
that does apply to revival. God does have times when he visits his church in different places, in different times, in different manner, in order to bring about an extraordinary visitation. Now, God is always present with his church, and we should always have, a, I think, a high, a high bar view uh, that God always, I think God always wants to do more than we ask or imagine. Mm. It's biblical, isn't it? So I think our, our expectations inevitably, the Bible seems to define, are always lower than they probably could be. Um, yeah. Because if, we're, if, he's, if he will do more than we ask or imagine, then that shows that our asking and our imagination are less than actually is possible. Yeah. Uh, and images of grains of mustard seed and faith and all the rest of it seem to imply we're growing into understanding of something that, you know, there's more than we think. So I think there is, even not in revival, we can see more than we are seeing. But revival, I think, is an, is an overtaking where the Holy Spirit moves way beyond anything we can cope with or organise. Um, mm. And I think of our dear friends uh, in Victory Church in Cumbran, uh, Clyde Thomas, when, when you ask him about, I mean, he wouldn't claim that was revival, he, but he would say it was a big outpouring. Mm. And whether I mean, it might have been, it might have been revival. I don't, I don't know. It depends what definition you use. But just a few years ago, I mean, they, thousands of people, just over many months, poured into that place. Many people saved. Many people healed. It, it, I mean, it was ev meetings every night, apart from one night of the week for about nine months or something. It was extraordinary. Mm. So normal life went on hold. You just couldn't even do your shopping, or didn't, it was just it was beyond bonkers. Uh, you can't live in that all all the time because mm. it was just everything would go pop yeah but we so we we're looking at church history and and even recent experience like in Cumbran and saying okay god seems to work in this kind of these this seasonal way mm. um and just trying to clock that and and be aware of it yeah and i think if you think back to revivals in this country before that really did change the fabric of the country where people like Wilberforce and Shaftesbury and Clapham sect and people like that after the, the, the deluge of God's spirit, social change took place. You know, it, 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 it soaked into the, the land. And so you saw a long lasting effect because of people who'd been impacted in that immediate downpouring. There was, there was a long, long uh, legacy and I think now, I mean, it's 100 years since the last um, featured revival in the in the mainland of the UK, which actually was in Lowestoft, where, where I come from. We've just celebrated the 100th year anniversary. That was the last revival. And so I think we're seeing the effects in the nation now of it being 100 years since there's been a revival, because the social fabric, the economic fabric, the spiritual fabric, all the things that were originally affected so deeply in in uh, sort of 100 years ago and back from there i think are are somewhat on the wane and we desperately i think need a a visitation from god of whatever whatever that looks like to do something that we just simply through our own human efforts can't can't manufacture the change that's necessary now i think it's it's too big it's got to come from from god and it's primarily something that comes from God to strengthen and restore his church, which then has a knock on effect on on the world around it. Yes. And also to bring many people once the church gets 
revive, people start to get saved, the community gets infected, and then you find that God puts his hand on the lives of men and women because their hearts have been changed, and they start to affect society, they start to bring many other people to Christ. Uh, so it becomes a knock-on effect. It, it really does become a yeah a domino effect in society. Just that the whole atmosphere is changed because more and more people know Christ. So you can't you cannot help but have the atmosphere of society change because there's just more Christians about. So yeah. the way they do their business, the way they you know conduct themselves, the the the, the standards of society. It's just everything is affected because it's just more Christians, mm. uh, and that is how you change. You cannot legislate to change society and you cannot you cannot bring reformation of culture by just um changing the way things are done you have to change people's hearts first so that there is a a weight of population that is um moving in a certain direction now there are one or two individuals who can do remarkable things to affect the lives of people it's not of course I'm in touch with one or two of those myself, and they're remarkable people who who really do have very prominent roles. But their in, their influence is likely to be um, quite niche and also not widespread, I would say. And that reflects the Great Commission, doesn't it? The mission of the church mm. is to make disciples um, yeah. rather than to, hey, go make the world a better place. If we make disciples, we're well, sure the world's definitely going to get to be a better place. But it, that's kind of a secondary effect, isn't it? Of the yes, of the I think so. Yeah, and I think we could get drawn off message if we don't make seeing people come to know Christ as the number one priority. I mean, just thinking where you're based there in Cambridge, um, you know, it's a huge place of influence potentially. Many people mm. will be making things, inventing things, discovering things that will affect the lives of many people. Imagine if there was such a move of God in Cambridge that many of the future innovators and people like that in the world who make big choices for how the world goes, imagine if they came to Christ and the, the difference that would make, having having a kingdom of God mindset in terms of how you make those sorts of choices. And there may be numbers of people in your church there who already know the Lord, and, and yet God is putting in positions of influence. Well, praise God for that. And we need thousands more uh, of people who've really been gifted in a particular field or skill um, to... to live in society for the common good. I think that's a, that is a Christian um longing that we want to mm. you know do good to everyone and especially to the household of believers as you have opportunity mm. that's a mm. that's a christian aspiration yeah and that that ties in with our eschatology a bit doesn't it because mm. we're um we're not expecting to go off and float on a cloud mm. um we're expecting to live a, an eternal embodied existence yes with exactly. each other yes exactly um, and I think that neither, though, do we expect that we're going to make the world perfect or, you know, resolve, yeah. uh, get it all perfect and then Christ will return. I don't, I don't buy into that. I think it's the other Christ, way Yes, I think the church is what Christ has got his focus on and the world is broken. It is broken. But we can, 
you know, the Lord's Prayer, let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It, it's a constant prayer that heaven would manifest itself on, on the planet mm. um, in terms of the rule and reign of Christ and his influence. But it's a constant prayer uh, and it's never going to be fulfilled until Christ completely returns. So the poor you will have always with you, as Jesus said. You know, we're not, we're not going to eradicate poverty, but we can make a huge difference to many people's lives, which is what uh, Paul even said, you know, when the apostle scrutinized him, he said, all they asked was that we remember the poor, the very thing I was keen to do. Mm. So you've got to live in this thing of, right, I really want to serve the poor, but the poor you'll have always with you. That's a, a dichotomy, isn't it, in scripture to kind of get our heads around. So we don't feel futile and useless, but we do also feel realistic. The world is broken. It's fallen. It's cursed. Mm. It's yeah. thistles and briars and, you know, it's groaning, longing for its liberation. You, you, it can't be fixed um, until Jesus comes and renews the heavens and the earth. Yeah. So we've got to live in that tension, haven't we, really? Yeah. And I, I was I was teaching um, the lead students Revelation on Saturday. And it's interesting, Revelation 6, where the, um, the famine and the um, pandemics and the mm. warfare and so on come, that the prayer of the martyrs is not, oh, God, take this stuff away. The prayer mm -hmm. of the martyrs is, hey, God, vindicate us. We, we want to see you in, intervene and, and clear our name, as it were. Mm. Um, and it's almost like I think we, can, we may have got ourselves into a position where we sort of end up seeing like the world at large as, as innocent sufferers mm. um, rather than as, oh, wow, yeah, this, this is fallen mankind. This is in a sense, under God's judgment, and it's his mercy and his grace that comes to rescue them. Mm. Um, I think that's one of the, 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 the chief things, that the, the humility almost that has to be in the heart of a man or a woman when they, when they believe in and receive Christ. It's recognising, you know, we are in Adam. Um, yeah. I mean, nobody likes to... I often liken it to yeah when you when you were at school and someone misbehaved and the whole class got detention <laughs> sort of yeah. feels feels like well, that's very unfair. Well, like it or not, Adam sinned and we we are in Adam. You know, the the, the we are the recipients of what he did because he represented us. He was represented when the world is broken because of his choices. And so we we have to humbly say, "Oh God, we we as a as a humanity uh, are under the curse because of what Adam did." And that and that does require real humility on our parts to say, "No, we we have sinned, we have done wrong, we are guilty. Um, our people have have um, have sinned, and we need a savior." I mean that that, that that's big deal really isn't it for us all to sort of personally and collectively mm. come to that sort of uh, awareness and and to realize that the world just doesn't work the way it should do because of the consequences of adam's sin and the sin that we then continue to perpetuate because we're in him yeah yeah because uh, it's probably not so much like the the other student on the other side of the class and mucking around it's more like the headmaster mm. has um has stepped out of line and actually created a culture where the whole school has come out of line as a result. Yes, yes, like, yes oh, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, I, yeah, I'm part of, I, he represents me and I'm part of this. And, mm. Um, mm. 
Yeah, and that's, that's yeah, and that's a great a great facet, a massive facet facet of the gospel in Paul, isn't it? That um, mm. uh, that we are transferred out of Adam and into Christ, and yes, our our union with Him is really significant, and maybe He talks in those terms even more than um, in terms yes. of forgiveness and guilt and so on. Yes, and I think that that is understanding who we are in Adam. And the depths and the depravity and the awfulness of it is so important because we can only really understand who we are in Christ if we've got hold of that first bit. Because it is such a everything that was true of Adam is true of us, but now everything that's true of Christ is true of us. And you you almost got to you got to go down and down and down and down to the very depths of identity with Adam to then be able to mm. come up to the very, very heights of identity in Christ. And you, you've got to go on that journey, I think. So it's like he's forgiven much, loves much. And that doesn't just mean in terms of what we've done, but even what we comprehend. Mm. I, I think the more we comprehend what it is we've been saved from uh, yeah. and how in, in, uh, unable we were to exact any personal improvement or change, it, it's a, yeah. a very humbling and yet important thing, and I, I, I do think that maybe even in recent years, the gospel has tended to emphasize um, what Jesus can do for you mm. rather than starting with what we have done against him. And so it's it's rooted in, oh, well, you know, you can have a great life and Jesus can you know, help you fulfill your dreams and, and all, all of that. Yeah. But you've got to know why that's so amazing. Um, mm. And it's because, you know, he's had mercy on us. Yeah. It feels to me like, like maybe what, I don't know, this may be a completely wrong analysis, but it, perhaps what started as kind of a good way to get people interested in the gospel. Um, if that becomes your whole understanding of the gospel, it ends up very shallow. Mm. Um I don't yeah. think Jesus Jesus doesn't come to uh, uh, help us live our dreams. Um, no, exactly. I mean, I think it's it, it. We all we all come into the Christian life from different angles, and I think touching people's felt needs is legitimate. Mm. But it beholds then teachers and leaders and people who are discipling, categorizing people. Mm. It's it's beholden to us to then fill out. So we go beyond felt needs and we actually say, well, actually, what is it that is so amazing about the grace of God and he's blessed you and he's helping you and he's looking at what, what is it? Why, why, why would he do that? And how, what right have you got to that? So it's, it's not so much the route people come in. It's just making sure that we really do disciple people thoroughly. Mm. And that, that's, that's a, that's the thing I suppose I feel um, we've got to be attentive to yeah yeah that's cool i'd love to just wind us back to something related to the revival topic mm. um does something have to be spontaneous to be spiritual uh no because i think um if we applied that to marriage then none of them would be <laughs> usually they're a bit planned aren't they and you have to sort of figure out do I, do I want to marry this person or do they want to marry you that's not spontaneous that's uh no the i think the um 
the love you get for someone may may happen in a moment, but you then build a life from it. So I think it's the same with following Christ. You know, you you come to Him, you receive Him, the Savior, believe in Him. There's a, there's a moment of um, salvation that that is a is a spot in some ways there's a spontaneous moment even if it's at the end of a long journey of discovery the actual transaction when we express in whatever way we do our receiving of christ there has to be a receiving of him that we can personalize however that that happens and even if it's that you grew all through your childhood and then came to realize well actually i can't remember when i didn't know jesus but i know i've received him you know there, there has to be that but i think so there's a moment of trying of, of of receiving Christ, but then the rest of our lives, we live life um, daily uh, by seeking to make godly choices and and um, become like Him as a process. In actual fact, I think people mature through process. We don't mature spontaneously. I mean, you can't go to a meeting and have hands laid on you for maturity it doesn't work that way it's, it's, <laughs> it's you know if only it did um, oh, if only. or yeah or patience you know i need patience so i'll pray for you um it just yeah. it yeah. the, the things that are precious take time um um it's like you know we're we're clay in the hands of god and and, and he's the potter and he's not He's not making, you know, 10 pence mugs. <laughs> he's, he's doing a fine piece of artistry. So I, th I think the I think um, spontaneous things, praise God for them, they add excitement and they add, you know, noteworthy moments like climbing to the top of a mountain and viewing it and thinking, wow. But you don't live on the top of the mountain. You have moments that you look back on as perhaps key moments when something happened or you did something that you can reference as a point of reference rather than an uh, uh, rather than a season of reference i think we live we live in different seasons and they, they have to be worked out slowly gradually consistently faithfully you know um sounds rather plodding doesn't it but i <laughs> I, I i think uh, there's something to be said for a good plod yeah as long yeah, as it yeah. doesn't become stoic resignation but, you know, just faithfully, consistently living for Christ as best as you can every day is, is a good way to live. Mm. I think if we if we create a setting where um, people just want to go to the next high in order to get a bit of a, a bit of a fix to keep them going till the next high, then we're not really building depth in people. Mm. I think that's that's just that's not that's not good for anybody to live just like that, but we do need high points. Um, I think that we're constituted that way. We, we, we do need to feel intimacy with Christ in a, in a, a new and fresh way, not live off, you know, yesterday's manner. So I do think we should have yeah, regular encounters with Christ personally and collectively and corporately. I, I, I think we should have high expectations for that. Um, but then behind that, there's an engine running, just purring in the background of, of daily life and daily service for him that 
should run um, feeding off the moments when we have had particular encounter with him. So when we became Christians, that's an encounter. When we get filled with the Spirit, it's an encounter. When we perhaps feel God speaking to us prophetically, it's an encounter. Where you know, whatever God heals us, it's an encounter. So I think, I think you need both. We do need those high points um, uh, because that's what exhilarates us, and we need exhilaration. Uh, I think we're constituted to. I think that's the great flavor quote, isn't it? We're constituted so that we we crave spiritual intimacy and exhilaration, and that's the way we're we're made. And if we don't get that from Christ, then as he puts it, our souls will go in search, silent search of other lovers. But there's something within us that will always go for the exhilaration of felt intimacy and felt exhilaration. That's how we're made. We're John Piper's thing of, you know, in, enjoying God. Um, that, that's, that's Christian hedonism. I mean, it, it is how we're made. That's fine. But we've then got to live in the good. It's both and. I, don't, I, I wouldn't want to emphasize one more than the other really yeah in terms of those those moments of encounter or exhilaration where would you anchor us in scripture with those what what should our expectations be biblically for what that might look like well i think most of the most of the acts of the apostles and then you know at times paul's reflections on things that have happened in his spiritual journey um were moments of exhilaration uh, with then thoroughgoing obedience so i mean mm. paul referred to himself caught up into the third heaven in the body out the yeah. body i mean that's a moment yeah. uh, but then you know he's gone on three missionary journeys which were long hard sustained hard work yeah but he yeah. needed the one to get to the other mm. and then other times when you know, there's encounter and Peter on the, well, he wasn't actually on the roof when he got the vision. He was, he'd been praying and he went into the kitchen when he fell into a trance, which is a great way of getting out of cooking. Um, <laughs> so I'm sorry, I'm in a trance at the moment. I can't, <laughs> can't do the vegetables. Um, but that seems to be what happened. He had that high point that then led on to, you know, Cornelius house. Um, I think, I think that's, I'm, I'm, I'm hungry for God to speak to me and engage with me regularly. And he does. I mean, I, I'm very blessed in that regard. I mean, often prophetic words will come to me from different people, just helping me know what to do next. I mean, that, I, that's been a feature of my life, which I'm very thankful for. And I'm not unfamiliar with being in meetings and feeling the sense of the, the weight of God's presence. And I love that, but I don't want to live for that. I want to live from that. Mm. So that energizes me to then do the obedient things that God has asked me to do faithfully, consistently, and giving my best energies, not in a stoic, boring way, but just having the fuel to do mm. the the stuff that he's asked me to do, which mm. is enjoyable and exciting. I mean, I, I, I love serving the Lord, uh, and I always have loved serving the Lord. So, I, you know, I... I, I it's when we separate the two, I think we become yeah. in. Yeah, it's actually that that's causes the problem. Mm. I get Christians who say, "No, you just got to stoically go on and on and on. Whatever happens, you just keep going." No, or those who just live for the next experience. That's when you have the problem. Mm. I think the two have got to go together. Yeah, and do you deliberately seek 
the moments of experience or do you leave oh, yeah. that in god's sovereign hand i know i'm looking for it but i can't make it happen but he knows that <laughs> he knows i'm hungry for it so mm. i what do you I, do uh i listen i just listen in my heart i'm i'm my radar is always tuned and he knows i'm always waiting and wanting and longing to hear his voice mm. and um Sometimes I will pursue it if I particularly need some help. I'll go and find some prophets who I really respect and say, you got anything for me? Uh, often they will have. So uh, I'm not afraid to go and access what I think I need, or if I feel I need some prayer, I'll go to someone and say, look, can you pray for me? Um, but often I find God will ambush me in different ways. But I live expecting God to, I expect God to speak to me. So if, so if I'm not hearing his voice for any length of time, I'm perplexed by that. So that's become more of a lifestyle. And then you just have to learn to recognize his voice because actually God does speak a lot more than we realize. And we just, I think John Wimber used to use the thing of like a radio. He didn't quite dialed it into the right station, but the, 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 the station's there. You just got to learn to get into the frequency. So you, so you can hear what God is saying. And it's, um, it's it's hearing with your spirit rather than with your ears mm -hmm. um and that that you can train yourself to do that it can be learned it's uh and it's a great it's a great pursuit to to pursue the ability to hear god for yourself and for others mm. to hear god for other people is a great thing as well because you can really bless yeah. people as long as it's you know delivered in a way that's it's 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 open it's way is able to be weighed it's not doesn't you know and it's always encouraging strengthening or consoling you know all the usual hallmarks mm. of a prophetic prophetic word but um to hear god for other people i love doing that as well because yeah. i can see the difference it makes to people if you bring them a word from god yeah well really when you're on the receiving end of it it's such a blessing yes. isn't it yes it is yeah. yeah yeah and that doesn't it doesn't um some of those in some of those moments of God speaking to you then are presumably fairly kind of um they're not not with fireworks it could be an email dropping into your inbox yeah or, or and... just just going about my daily business I mean I find that God often speaks to me at very inopportune moments I'm brushing my teeth or having a mm. shower or I don't know eating something or doing the shopping or so and he's why are you talking to me now I can't write it down I mean it's just <laughs> it's just not convenient but it doesn't seem to be any any uh reference to when God <laughs> speaks he just seems to completely uh, why not he has his own times and agendas and we have to fit in with that um so i do try to you know keep a phone or a notepad or something around or if some something significant drops into my mind i will try and capture it and then mm. give journal it and then give a little bit more time to thinking about it but i i do find that god speaks to me not when i'm particularly sitting down saying right lord now speak to me I, I can ask him to do it then but the answer will usually come when i'm not particularly expecting it mm. although i okay. find if i go out for a long walk uh there will be all sorts of things i feel god says to me when i'm doing that mm. uh, so there's some activities that seem to stimulate it 
Mm. Um, but they're not usually spiritual activities. They're, they're more things where my, perhaps when the noise in my head and my heart have subsided enough for him to, for his voice then to be heard, that's probably yeah. what, that's probably what it is rather than anything else. Yeah. So you're not filled yeah. with something else. Yeah, and I suppose for different people that will come at in different ways, different moments. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you don't have to be a contemplative sort. No. I think you can be a, a very active sort of, you know, uh, doer, uh, and God still speaks. It's not a it's not a technique. Yeah. Well, you've very graciously let me um, uh, throw all sorts of questions at you. Um, as we wrap up, is there anything that you would like to say to the good people of City Church Cambridge or anyone else who happens to find this on the internet? Well, uh, I think, as I said earlier, I, I mean, not that everyone hopefully listening to this is from Cambridge, but I will make some remarks to Cambridge because I do think it is a, a centre of tremendous possibility. And many people, um, hopefully listening to this, have got such gifting and gracing from God to work in particular fields, particular callings. They may not all be in Cambridge for the rest of their lives, but I trust that wherever they go, um, something of what they've caught, the DNA of being part of City Church and, and being part of the wider relational mission family and part of the wider New Frontiers family, because it's all families and families, isn't it? Uh, I think that how how wonderful to think that people can take that with them to wherever they go, either in this country or right across the globe, and maybe planting, starting new churches out from City Church Cambridge, taking your business or your qualifications or your calling into different nations, not particularly thinking church planting is the first thing, but just simply being there, doing what God has called you to do as you're, you know, serving him primarily. And then you just find churches emerge alongside that. I think that will happen more and more, that people will have business or some kind of tent-making income, and then they'll find themselves propelled into different places. And suddenly we find ourselves with dozens of church plants that weren't strategically planned, but come because the Spirit of God has just blown people into different locations. Mm. Uh, it's not that you know everyone has to do that because some people you just join churches where you go and praise god you would be a blessing to them but i think for some it will be the case that uh, you as a church and you as an eldership will find yourself uh with a number of opportunities to plant churches across the globe simply because someone's got a, an academic ability or a business ability or a, whatever mm. a linguistic ability and uh they'll they'll find themselves being used by God in places that their work has carried them to. So I, I would be attentive to that. Don't just think what you do as your job is your job. It's it's a calling from God, and it opens up very holistically a way for you to share your life and and the gospel with many people, as well as to bless the bless the lives of many people through what you do. So oh yeah, that's that's my parting thought. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you, Mike. And if people want to hear uh, more from you, you're regularly on the Relational Mission podcast as well, aren't you? 
Yeah, we've just finished season one and we're just doing season two, which uh, your very own Anna Goodman is involved in that as well. So we've just Fantastic. finished the, just finished the first um, podcast series we've ever done. Um, and, you know, there's stuff on Twitter and um, YouTube channel, RM YouTube channel and uh, my Twitter account and RM's Twitter account. So people can uh, find us in all those places. Yeah, mm. brilliant. All right, thanks so much. Bless thanks you. for being with us.